we change internally within ourselves and within our lives and with our directions and intentions. And hopefully as we get older, we become more excited than that five-year-old thought he was a preacher or smelled chicken, and we get more excited because the closeness that we've become to God, knowing what's just around the corner. Well, folks, we live daily. Even though we know what's around the corner, we still don't know what we're going to face. So we as a body of Christ, we as believers in Christ, we've got that great hope. My goodness, without it, what will we do? Where will we be? First thing I'd like to do, I'm out of kelter, Joe, right now with what I've got set up. But it just hit me since uh, I picked on Billy Wayne and I told him we turned the service over Sunday night at nine minutes after six to a guest preacher. And a little bit unfair. Well, not to all of them. Y'all don't don't remember Brother... uh, not Ozell, the guy that came down when we started, when we started, uh, we started uh, Bible sc- uh, the uh, homecomings when he was down. And homecoming, the first homecoming we ever had, this one right over here would have burnt my house if she could. She might not remember Barbara. Ozell Penson. I got up in the pulpit. I said, Brother Penson, just preach as long as you want to. Brothers and sisters and fellow Americans. He preached as long as he wanted to. (laughs) Those women were furious out there in that tent. So I guess you just better make the best out of what you got to start with. But what I'd like to do is start out, and it's not even part of the message, but I've been, scriptures bothered me all day today, different scriptures, John 5, 30 and 31, and different ones, and the one that we get hung up on all the time, or I do, that it just depends on how I read it, where I put the words, how it turns out is how it touches me. So if you need to, just to start out as my special song from Psalms, turn to chapter 23. And we'll just read that and then I'll get into what little I want to talk about. This is a song of David, Psalms 23, said the Lord. You know, you could stop right there if you wanted to. The Lord. That says it all. But add this to it. Is my shepherd. I don't need anything. I shall not want. God's going to give me everything I need. And if I don't have what I want, eternity awaits me for so much more than I deserve. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He gives me things I don't even deserve. I've never earned. He gives them to me because He loves me. He leads me beside the still waters. My goodness, all this rain and floods and things we've had in the last year. 
in Kentucky and around about in different places, what peace it would be for a lot of those people just to have the opportunity to stand beside still waters and see the peace that God can put on water that we can look at and appreciate. He restoreth my soul. You know, we go through a lot of things as we, as we grow and get older. We have family and health issues and just issues. And our soul becomes troubled. We become, we become disheartened. But if we just look to God, He restores our souls when He is allowed to lead us in the path of righteousness for His name's sake, not ours, but for His. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We all do that individually. We do it with loved ones. We do it with friends and relatives. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Keeps me stable. Keeps me upright. Keeps me on the path I need to go. Because if I get unsteady... You can give me a walking cane or a rod or a staff that I can put that down and trust and have faith in you and be able to go in the direction that I need to go. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Lord, help us today. They're all around. Our enemies are everywhere in opposition to anything that a Christian wants to behold and stand for. But thou anointest my head with oil, and in spite of all of that and all of them and those things, I've got more than I need or deserve. My cup runneth over. Surely, undoubtedly, no doubt, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And here's the key to all of it, folks. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Brother Danny Ford, take us to prayer, please, sir. All right, am I punching that thing, Joe? I got the green one on. It's got a number. There we go. <laughs> See, it works. I just gave you all a lesson. Well, that was one of the things I settled. I've been tempting. Is that God calling me?
What I want to talk about tonight is uh, things we need to know. In our search for the next pastor of Bible Baptist Church, of this church, there's lots of things that we need to know. Now, I'm not attempting to make any, any claim that I'm going to cover all those things. I just want to, there's some things that I have looked at, uh, I've referenced, and I think there's some basics, basic, basic things that we can have on a list that we need to, within ourselves, individually, ask ourselves and even question to the point or have the, the want to have the knowledge of someone that might be a candidate for the pastor of this church. And some of the questions that I would ask, and I think they should be able to answer readily and directly, and the first one would be, what is your salvation testimony and call to the ministry? That shouldn't be too hard for them to answer. You know, that's kind of like the fried chicken at Papaw's. There's something that tells you that you have this feeling that God wants you to pass out songbooks and read Bibles and take an offering, something. You know, that's even as a small child, you, you know what those kind of things mean, not that that's what was happening there. But as an adult... You should be able to, a person that's interested in becoming a pastor of a church, should have a, first of all, a very focal salvation testimony and a call to the ministry. Next question I would have is, what doctrines are essential to you in the Christian faith? What doctrines do you think we should adhere to, that we should practice? It could even get into what are false doctrines. It could be simple statements. You can cover a lot by a simple answer in this kinds of question. This might be a little odd, but what do you do for fun? It's a good question. Well, I don't ever, I don't have any fun. Or maybe I go down to three links, four wheeling. Right? I might just go out the back pond and fish. There has to be some relaxation. There has to be some human factors involved in a pastor. Because folks, believe it or not, whoever this guy is that shows up here is going to be dealing with some plain human beings. I'll start me being number one. Not that I'm number one, but I'm plain. A question that has always been a little bit complexing to me when I see it done, when I'm involved with somebody that does it, because it's it's really it's really simple. It's extremely complex because the Bible tells us unless we've got childlike faith, there's a lot involved in that. 
Well, are we going to do a doctoral statement, read a thesis, and beat somebody down, browbeat them when we share the gospel with an unsaved person? How does that person, how does that pastor present the gospel, especially to an unsaved person? I think my Bible tells me to present it simple. Present it direct, yes. Present it so that they can understand it. Don't make it complicated. Don't make it dependent on you. Don't make it something that's long range that you have to come and search for for weeks and a month. Come to some kind of conclusion or thought or an agreement when you have the discussion. Next question I want to know is how do you resolve conflict between you and the church or someone in the church? How do you approach that? What is the hope of the outcome of what the two parties or the parties or the involved people are trying to do? I think it's a fair question. What does a typical week look like for you? In other words, what do you do throughout the week? Sometimes you have no idea what a pastor does. You don't see him in town. You don't see him in church. And you don't hear anybody say anything about him hardly ever. So, fair question. And how do you describe your preaching style? Is it topical or expository? Now, who wants to tell me what topical is? You don't have to. You want to? A simple subject. Yeah, exactly right. What's an expository? Yeah, this is what? taking verse by verse, tying other verses from other places, grouping it all together, and making one big scheme of, lack of a better term, Genesis Revelation on the subject. That's kind of an overkill, but that's, that's a difference in the two. Now, you know, I think there's places for both. So I just, I think it's a fair question to ask. You know, what's your preaching style? Next, another question is, other than the Bible, what books have most influenced you in your ministry? Somebody want to answer? Anybody want to tell me what books has influenced them in their lives other than the Bible? Not that I, I mean, I want the Bible to be number one. Anybody got any books that's influenced them in life? You ever heard of Jesse Stewart? You ever read the book High to the Hunters? What's a country boy book? 
First one I read of him in seventh or eighth grade, and I've read every book I think that he wrote. But this city boy went home with the country boy, and they went coon hunting. There's a whole lot of other things happening other than that. But hey, that's, that's a man from Pine Hill or Livingston. The red mule, the thread that runs so true. You can read, you can read books. You got to have a. I think you got to have a biblical grounding first of all to find those kind of good books that help. But those kind of books can give you a perspective into other people's lives of living a Christian life in everyday living, not just behind the podium or sitting in the pew. Because, folks, if we're going to be a witness, if we're going to be who we need to be in the community, it just don't just all happen sitting in the pew and behind the pulpit. We've got to be part of the community. Next question is, how do you respond to criticism? That'd be my worst question in a, if I was trying to be your pastor, because I don't do good criticism. I try to let them like I do, but I don't know nowhere near as good as I should do. Okay, and I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. But anyway, next question: What are the top three responsibilities of a pastor? Now, we probably, if we ask everyone in here, we'd have different answers for everyone. But keep in mind. Having that outlook on who you want to pastor you helps you see their perspective and helps them see your perspective and helps you get together what needs to be done for God's work. Another question, have you developed teams and volunteers in the past? There's a lot of... Well, I grew up in a church... when we was kids, a little 30, 35, we, we had maybe Bible school every once in a while, but we didn't have a whole lot of activity. And we started doing that with that gym and the crickets. It had been fun we could have done that when we was growing up. So that's just simple to develop some teams. And, and there's people that want to develop teams of volunteers as well. Next question, do you have an accountability partner? Who helps keep you accountable for what you're going to do? Next question, what do you feel God might be calling you? Why? I'm sorry. Why do you feel God may be calling you to a new assignment? There's got to be a reason for that. How does your family feel about a possible move? And what intentional steps do you take to maintain personal wholeness? Now, folks, this is a good question for all of us, to be honest about it. There's things we need to be aware of. We need to be aware of single-issue pastoral candidates. Ones that have one huge thing on their plate, on their mind, and all their sermons and programs revolve around it. Some people are single-minded of wanting to accomplish one thing. Folks, pastors need to be a generalist 
not a specialist. They need to be students of the Word. They need to deliver great sermons, sermons that meet the needs of the time and of the people in their congregation. They need to be good administrators of their staff. They need to oversee a church that ministers to all, and be emphasized to all age groups and people, and all people in the community. Ministers in the community need to be ministers that touches that community, the people in that community, with the gospel that we so love to spread around the world. Folks, let's start at the target. Let's do it here at home and then keep moving it. Don't change what we're doing. Just make sure we're doing the same thing at home in our community that what we're doing we want to do elsewhere. The church needs to be evangelistic, mission-minded, Bible teaching, and good stewards. Be aware of politically ambitious pastors. That's a, a nominational clicker. In other words, he clicks with one little group or one cause without regard, without regard whatsoever to anybody in the church or outside the church that don't totally agree with the clique that he's in. Jesus said, I'm among you as one who serves. And who would be great among you? Let him be your servant. So find out that pastor has a servant's heart and what servants he's now doing. Be aware of the predators. We need to know how to tell one from the other. John 10 is a good starting point. Place a good place to study. And it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Let me read that again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is Christ talking, I am the door of the sheep. Who's the sheep? We are. By me, through me, by Jesus Christ, if any man enter in, he, they shall be saved. And shall go in and out. Go in and go out and find pasture. Do what? Feed the sheep. But the thief cometh not, but to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. So let's beware of those predators that might be out there that's not truly after what God wants. In Acts 20, verses 25 through 30, 
It says, now behold, I know that y'all, among who have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I am not shunned to declare unto all you, or you all, that's southern, I should have said that, shouldn't I? You all, the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Beware of those that tries to separate the church. If rumors trail the minister from church to church, pay attention to it. Be aware of the combative. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure, will give them repentance to the knowledge of truth. If who? If God, through the teaching, through your teaching, through your preaching, if God preadventure, will give them repentance to acknowledge or acknowledge the truth. A competitive personality in the pulpit gets old quick to everybody and causes serious division. Beware of the immature. Pastors who've never grown up. Now, there's very few men that don't completely and totally grow up. Not just pastors. No, we're, we have a hard time growing up. Ask most any of our ladies of that. We tend to fall back on our immaturity. But there are some places that it's not fitting to be. Not as a pattern. If they're quick to take offense, or easily offended, if they cannot handle correction or conversation of an issue, and if any criticism is unwelcome, and the critic, whoever made the comment, whoever talked to them, if they become or if they're marked as an enemy of the state, if you will. They can be spotted by the use of their slang, sometimes even their hairstyle, their clothing, their demeanor, their discomfort and associating with old people. I'm kind of looking out for myself there. Okay. Second Peter 3.18 is a good reminder. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory 
both now and forever. That's the key to all we're doing, folks, right there. But beware of the mentally unhealthy as well. That's a problem for anyone, problem for everyone. We don't want a man who struggles with the ego, trying to find his own identity at church's expense, who has anger issues and is, has a fragile confidence, always needing build up or bolstered or lifted up. Before the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world back to the Father. Having loved his own, he was in the upper room. Having loved those men he served with, those disciples. They were in the world with him as we know the world now, as it is now. He loved them to the very end in his time here on earth. And during that supper, the devil had already got to Judas's carrot and had him convinced that to to betray Jesus. But Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into Jesus' hands, and that Jesus had come forth from God, and Jesus was going back to God. Jesus rose from that supper, laid aside his garment, took up a towel, girded himself about, And with that towel, he began to wash the feet of those people in that room. Folks, we that are in Christ, we that are born again, we know that what we have in our spirit, in our salvation came from God. And we know that we, in that spirit, in that salvation, in our soul, we will go back to God for eternity. The big message in this and what happened here and what Jesus did in John 13 demands to be considered in all things that we do and that someone that has a desire to be a pastor is that Jesus was able to stoop down and serve the lowest positions, the feet in that room, because he knew who he was. He knew God's calling upon his life. He was on schedule with his life and had nothing to prove. Insecurity would paralyze us. But knowing our identity in Christ will set us free to do anything he commands. Beware of the carnal. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, We have the carnal or the fleshly in the congregations or among us who need to grow and rise above the ways in their former life, the life of sin. Look for evidence of spirituality. Does the man we're looking at read his Bible and pray regularly and not just for sermon preparation? Does he love people? Is there humility in his life? Beware of loners. Not people's loaning money, but people's alone. Don't want to be bothered. 
Does a pastor have friends in the ministry? Or does he isolate himself from his colleagues as though he fears contamination? Jesus called his, called his disciples to come a part of a team of 12. Of course, it ended up being without Judas Iscariot. But he sent them in pairs. You can see it in Mark 6, 7, Acts 13, 2, and Acts 15, 39, and 40. When the Holy Spirit sent out missionaries, they were not sent out as solo acts, as the, but in groups of at least two. They were out there for a purpose, to win and to serve and to praise God and to reveal God to those people in the communities, the people they come face to face with. Pastors and congregation, we should urge people to come to Christ. Pastors should urge people to come to Christ. Should urge them to be saved, to be baptized, to join the church. They need to tell the new disciples they can't live this Christian life in isolation. They need the family of God, and that'll make things right for them. Don't fall in love with a candidate so quickly that you cut short your work in the background of who he is, where he came from, and where he's trying to go. Don't refuse to consider negative information along with positive information. Talk to ministers who served on that pastor's staff in previous churches. Talk to pastors who led neighboring congregations. Pay close attention. Particularly if they're all saying the same thing. It can make or break. Folks, what we need to do as a congregation is to be on our knees praying to God that he sends who we need. Folks, it's not just up to the pulpit committee to find somebody and say, here it is. You need to have your hearts, your minds, and your souls open and praying fervently that God would lay upon the hearts of each of us that person that God wants to lead us. Because we've got a mission field at the beginning of this door on that side and on this side that needs to be tended to. And we're all responsible for that. The Great Commission wasn't to a pastor. Was it? You'll do this, each one of you mentally at least, that's who the Great Commission is to. Nobody else but that individual you can point to that you call yourself. So let's do that. Just some reminders, some thoughts. Because God has somebody for us. We just need to keep listening, watching, and praying 
open minds, open hearts, and willing hearts, minds, and bodies. Okay? I'll dismiss this part in prayer, and then I'll, you come on up here and pray for us, Darren, and then you can take it over. You going to do the, you want me to do the prayer list first, or you want to do it? You don't care if me do it, you're going to do it. 